Welcome to Crime Wire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to Crime Wire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at The New Crime Wire. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host, Delilah Jones, and I will be joined by Peter Hyatt. Peter is a statement analyst and instructor who teaches statement analysis and analytical interviewing to law enforcement and corporate America. He has authored the investigator training manual for the DHHS and the state of Maine, as well as written the book, Wise as a Serpent, Gentle as a Dove. He has been interviewed extensively on radio and television. Peter has analyzed statements made in many high-profile crimes and missing person cases, such as John Benet Ramsey, Haley Dunn, Darley Rotier, and Santa Claus. And you can read all about his analysis in these cases and others on his blog at http slash slash statement analysis.blogspot.com. And today we're going to be talking about the Amanda Blackburn case. On November 10th, 2015, Indianapolis was rocked by the shooting of 28-year-old Amanda Blackburn. Amanda died two days later. She was the wife of Pastor Davy Blackburn and was 12 weeks pregnant when she was killed. Within days, the police arrested a total of three men who were charged with murder, burglary, and other felonies. They are currently in jail awaiting trial. So it appears Amanda was the victim of a random home invasion by a few thieves who killed for the thrill of it. Arrests have been made, and the story has faded from the headlines. Case closed. Or is it? Do we really know all the details of Amanda Blackburn's death? Peter isn't so sure about that, and today he's going to tell us why. You can call in with a question or a comment for Peter or General at 646-478-0982, or you can also participate in our chat room. Peter, welcome back to CrimeWire. Hi, Denny. Thanks for having me. Hi, Delilah. Hi, Peter. Happy you made it. <laughs> You know, we always wonder about you because you're the you get on at the last possible minute, but we have faith you'd be here. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know, this is this case is just oh, I don't even know what the word for it is. There's so many layers to this that just in this the short time I've been looking into it and and reading about it. And thank you for the video this morning. That was quite telling as well. So, uh, you know, and I think I think our audience is going to feel the same way once we get digging into the the details of this. But I mean, for for my sake and everyone else, can you go through just a, a, a short, brief background on the case? And so bring us up to speed where what happened, when and where are we today? The first thing that must be understood is that I have no inside knowledge on this case. I have no statements that were not public. I did not work with the police on this case. When I work with police, I do not uh, blog about a case, and I 
I don't even comment on about a case. I have to keep it confidential, and I'm glad to do that for the, the cause of justice. So that's the first thing. I, I can't speak for the police, and um, I certainly respect the work they do there. And um, But anything I have is public information through the lens of statement analysis and behavioral analysis. The second thing that's important to note about there are some very strong emotional reactions in the public regarding the murder of Amanda Blackburn. Very few people call it the case of Amanda Blackburn. They call it the case of Davy Blackburn. And that's really a common and understandable response. Uh, it is bizarre. It is bizarre. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to represent not only my own views, but the, review, the views of perhaps a, a, at least a dozen to a dozen and a half experienced homicide investigators, deception experts, and analysts from around the country, uh, as well as the United Kingdom and Canada and other places that have weighed in upon this. And will be interesting because we'll, we'll talk about it from a perspective, uh, the three of us, of a universal opinion on the case. So it's going to be interesting. The, uh, a young woman was – a pregnant woman was murdered, and initially four suspects were detained or named as persons of interest. Three of them ended up being arrested. They're low-level gang members, and the husband, Davey Blackburn, was uh, cleared um, very early on in the case. He was at the gym when it happened, that sort of thing. So he's not a, a suspect. He's not a person of interest uh, formally. Yet there is an obsession with the case that um, part of it is understandable. There are very strong feelings that this is a miscarriage of justice. And for, for us, people of the West, that is something that is uh, emotionally triggering. We, we do not like the big guy versus the small guy. We don't like the injustice of, of anything taking place and the arrogance of those who get away with it and that sort of thing. That's one factor, injustice. Um, that reminded me of the, the people from the UK who had known from the very beginning, like the Portugal police, that the McCanns were not truthful and their daughter was not kidnapped. They had to sit through years of having the McCanns thumb their nose or poke them in the eye, depending on the level of expression, um, with lies. And lies presuppose that we are too stupid to discern them. And it's, it's provocative. And then there are those um, regarding this because Davy Blackburn um, is called a pastor of a church. And so there are those who can become obsessed with the case because they may have had a negative experience in a church. And um, for them, this is some form of, of retribution against some other church leader that hurt them or something like that. And they become obsessed with the case. And that's a little bit frightening. Then there are those who um, are people of faith or people who profess faith in Christ who are, uh, which you may have seen this morning in the video, are embarrassed at Davy Blackburn representing Christian faith. But all of that tales when we get to the very first time this man opens his mouth, and that's where everything gets crazy. So I, I'm sure that, that Delilah, you and Benny had a reaction just to watching the short little video compilation um, that someone had posted on YouTube. I'm not sure who the editor was there, but 
Um, it is provocative just watching him for very good reason. Oh, absolutely. The, the video was surprising. I mean, just his body language and, and what he did and what he didn't do. I didn't see any sorrow, sadness, grief. Um, he never mentioned her by name. I mean, I thought that was very odd I, when he spoke about her uh, very he didn't he didn't use her name very often didn't speak about his children missing their mother um the things that you would expect to hear weren't there but what he did have to say was just totally off the wall to me what did you sure. think of it and denny denny did you have any did you have any thoughts about the video Yes, it, it. I agree. It was totally off the wall and made no sense and did not fit what I would have thought of the grieving husband. Uh, I, I, I came away. I guess scratching my head would be <laughs> would be a fair thing to say. That that's going to pale compared to what we what we go into next. That'll be nothing. <laughs> well, one of Peter. the one of the per- persons in the chat room wants wants to know what do you find um, as one of the most surprising aspects of his language before and after the murder? Was there was there a difference in the language that he was using? Well, that, that's a, a great question. I'm going to answer it as we go along because not only am I going to look at the language before and after the murder, but I'm going to look at the behavioral analysis. So, step one is a pregnant woman died, the number one cause of death of pregnant women is homicide. The number one perpetrator of that homicide is the father of the child or a love interest of the mother. That's just like a statistic from state to state across our country. So when a pregnant woman dies, it is very often most likely to be a homicide, the death caused by a human, and the love interest, husband, baby daddy, whatever the cultural term is, is often or you know, statistically likely to be the perpetrator of that homicide. So the first thing police will look at when a pregnant woman dies is going to be the husband, ex-husband, boyfriend, etc. That's just a statistic that is followed, and it's rightfully followed. It's a statistical profiling that makes sense. Davey knew that. And it was asked in, in his Good Morning America interview, which we'll get to. Now, here's the, the scenario that I have to set up for everyone. A pregnant woman dies by a homicide. The husband's reaction to it is c- constrained glee. And I've got to back up before I get there because this is, this is just almost – Almost hard to believe, almost difficult to believe, almost impossible to believe. But we have a man, a young man, who is um, has ambition off the charts. His ambition is to be like his mentor Perry Noble, who pastored a church of fifteen thousand people, or some bizarre number like that. I was in church last week, and there were seven people in attendance. So I I can't picture. Outside of going to a, a Madison Square Garden, 15,000 people. It just sounds uh, crazy to me, but it's true. And Davey went there and was part of that 
that movement and the focus and goal is on numbers. It's, it's, it's success driven. So Davey has released videos of himself and statements of his own that must be considered in context of the murder of Amanda Blackburn. So right now there is no known evidence linking Davey to the gang members that did this. So I just ask the audience to keep an open mind about this. The videos of Davey are bizarre. The Jesus, which I often write on the blog with a small j, has no resemblance to the Christ, the historic Christ or the Jesus of the Bible, or, or very little resemblance. Davey comes on dressed in a flamboyant manner, which um, I think probably the person in the chat room was was thinking about that change after the, the murder. It became even more flamboyant. And he spent an inordinate amount of time trying to convince his audience, first and foremost, to get more people to come in, and second of all, that he was heterosexual. This was – it's a theme. And he literally, on the videos, and they're still there to see, he literally humiliates his wife over and over and over because she can't meet his sexual needs. So he's telling this young audience as he's dressed in like tight-fitting clothing and um, clothing that shows a very, um, I guess a neutral word would be casual, casual thought of the, the gospel he's saying that he's preaching. When people go here in orchestra, they often dress up because it's a sign of respect to the, the music that's been um, composed for them. If they visit the White House, they, they probably won't wear ripped jeans and, and a T-shirt. Um, whether they uh, admire or despise the president, they're going to show respect to the office itself. Well, he is putting on a very theatrical and uh, contrived performance. And in this performance, including the, the clothing that is designed to accentuate his body with the tight-fitting clothes and the, um, his own personal body, he repeatedly tells the young audience, my wife couldn't meet my sexual needs. Once One account, and this is – I can't use the word sermon, but one account of when he was preaching, he said that when he – came home, he, he was unable to go out to dinner and concentrate on his wife's words unless they had sex first. I mean, just completely dehumanized her into a series of body parts to be used for his personal satisfaction. So then he will grant her the ability to be a person and be heard and, and communicate. So he doesn't, um, he doesn't create love with his wife. He uses her for sex. And so he tells the audience over and over and over how inadequate she was to satisfy him sexually. So the, this need to persuade in the language, this need to persuade shows an underlining weakness of heterosexuality, the need to persuade. Then he shares his words, shares his feelings about his wife. And you'll notice, and people I think have seen this over and over, after her death, um, he sounds like Scott Peterson. Even before their arrests were made, he sounds just like Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson described Lacey as in, in angelic terms and 
the marriage relationship was just beyond all rational human relationships. It's so wonderful and so glorious and that sort of thing, just like Scott Peterson. No, that's not what he said before the murder. Before the murder, he complained about his wife not only sexually, but he complained that his wife specifically hindered him from his goals of numbers. He must have numbers. He must have numbers over and over. It is a, it's not something that he seeks to do. It's who he is. He identifies himself either as a person or a failure by these numbers. And so he pushes people to invite X amount of number of people and X amount of people and he counts the number of people and everything's about this drive for numbers. Whereas in Christianity, a, a missionary risked his or her life and went to the dark continent of Africa where they encountered violence and cannibalism and, and all sorts of bizarre um, health conditions. And to win one soul to Christ meant everything to them. Uh, the scripture talks about there being rejoicing in heaven over one who turns to Christ. And that's juxtaposed against this man who not only drove his followers for more numbers, but when the numbers didn't meet his preconceived numbers, he chided them strongly. He chastised them. So everything about him is this drive for numerical success. He's going to be famous. He's going to be wealthy. He's going to outdo the, the wacky Perry Noble, which I'll get to. Amanda hindered that work for him. This is what he told us. This is not even through the lens of statement analysis. This is his own words. Amanda wanted more time with him, and he wanted to be out there getting numbers to come in. Huge to him. Not numbers where he's going to another part of the country or another land to win people to Christ. Numbers that will directly benefit him. They must come to this church. Say a few magic words. You're in. You're part of the club. Sign on the dotted line. You're now one of mine. And so I will count that number. And you'll see how extreme this is when we get to the murder. Then he said something traumatic happened in his life a terrible trigger that was one of the most difficult things in his life. Amanda got pregnant. This was the son that was born. This, he said, was a terrible trigger and a, a crisis for him. He could not deal with this. Not only was Amanda hindering his progress, a ready scapegoat for failure, whatever his measure of success and failure is, but now he has a baby, a pregnant wife, and a baby to be concerned about. And he himself said this was a disaster. This was the, the worst thing that could happen to him. So the child is born, and they go about this business of trying to build this really hipster type of church that's directly appealing with, with um, choreographed images, including a sermon where he pulls out a gun to make an illustrative point. And it's really hard for me. Uh, I'm not a person given to cursing. It's, it's just not my personality. I want to curse. Um, my wife, Heather, can't watch his videos. It's so disturbing to see such a mockery. But, you know, just picture in context of what happened to his life. And here's a gun being pulled out in part of worship. So 
Excuse me, just one second, Peter. I'm I'm a little confused. Was this so-called gun sermon, was this before or after the murder? You know, I I don't recall. I know it was near. It was within a couple weeks either way. Someone in the chat room will tell us exactly. Okay, yeah, Yeah, I'm sure they will. (laughs) Because either it's a reflection a week or two after, or it's a a signal, um, you know, a, a message beforehand, but it's really close. Our chat room experts say it was two days before the murder. Okay, so it's just um, with me, uh, my own emotions. It is difficult at times to think logically after watching the video of this guy, um, and I have to deal with my own prejudice in terms of of my own personal beliefs because it is insulting. To people of faith to watch what he does. He, he's Elmer Gantry on steroids times 10. It's just not, not people are even familiar with the, the mockery and the um, the manipulation, the emotional manipulation, the music, the, the choreographic um, setup. It's all designed for one thing is to hook people in to um, some form of optimism. Everything is optimism. The best is yet to come. Optimism. So, um, listen, life is difficult. We all know that. And as we get older, we all ask questions like, why am I here? What's going to happen next? These are good questions that that humans need to to ask and humans seek answers to. Um, It's very, very painful, philosophers tell us, to be atheistic, thinking that they've listed their entire 70 or 80 years, and now it's all worthless and meaningless. So we all seek for meaning in this sense. And these are questions that we all have <laughs> when he mocks these things, because the whole mantra is, you know, you, you could be two days away from dying from cancer and the best is yet to come. Just keep saying it over and over as if they don't change anything. So it is inflammatory. Now, he said his wife got in the way of his goals. Pregnancy was even worse. And suddenly we find out Amanda is pregnant again. Oh, no, this is a disaster. And (laughs) when he spoke and we began the analysis, that he is deceptive is not in question. He is deceptive. The problem is, what is he being deceptive about? And so we'll take a look at some of those things and let people decide for themselves. When someone um, talks about complaints about their marriage – and complains about pregnancy being worse, and complains about it getting in the way. When his wife was murdered, and they had the ceremony afterwards, or the, I can't even call it a funeral or a memorial service because it was neither, when they had this promotion, this man had the wherewithal to talk about how many people tuned in on the internet, giving an exact number. He showed linguistically and body language no fear for himself, no fear for his son, no fear for his neighbors while the killers were out loose. And then we still have to get to the crime itself being uh, quite unusual. And then everything gets even more bizarre when when he talks about his normal pattern. People that read the statement analysis blog know that when someone says, 
Once upon a time, on a day like any other, they know that's called the normal effect, meaning something unlike any other day is about to take place. So they sit up and take notice. Well, normally, he said he goes to the gym, and every week on that day, he has a phone conversation with a buddy from out of state, an old college buddy. On that particular day, with the phone conversation, he pulled into his driveway, and I think for between 35 and 40 minutes, he stayed on the phone extra time and didn't go into the house to finish the phone call, but stayed in the car while Amanda was bleeding out. As the circumstances continue to build, it gets kind of spooky. This is what a 30-year homicide investigator said to me. Peter, no one gets that lucky. This guy has been free from the shackle of a wife and another baby, and he's free to pursue his agenda of this insane, narcissistic building of numbers. And we see shortly after the murder, not only is he has no concern about him being targeted or going back to the house or, or the safety of his son. But we see that he went to his father-in-law's church of whom uh, Amanda's father is a pastor. And he spoke there and there he revealed himself. He, he said, no, I, I wasn't going to speak there. You're, you're lying. You're going to speak. You can't not speak. So he, quote-unquote, reluctantly spoke to the audience, and this is what he told them. He was in the shower when the Almighty, the Almighty spoke to him while he was in the shower. And any criminal psychologist is going to go, uh-oh, somebody needs to have guilt cleansed off him. Um, he could have said anything, but he had to place himself in the shower, and the Almighty the creator of the heavens and the earth, spoke to him, Davy, and gave him marching orders, and here they are. Davy is going to lead an army of people that people are going to become Christians what this country has never seen before. Forget George Whitfield, forget Charles Spurgeon, forget um, Jonathan Edwards, forget any the Great Awakening, the Reformation, forget all of that. Davy is here, and he went on to tell the audience that he himself has been chosen by God while naked in the shower to, to do something of that history has not itself even seen. Then he left himself out. He said to the people, you are spiritually dead. In other words, he was insulting their pastor, claiming that he wasn't seeing them. He was taking authority over Amanda's father, Amanda, the murdered victim, whose body is not even pulled at this point, or barely. And he said, if this doesn't come to pass, if I am not this great, marvelous leader of a powerful movement that the country has never seen before, it's your fault. And they all, like dopey sheep, just kind of nod and agreed, and his father-in-law sheepishly took this... Um, huge middle finger and embraced it with a kiss. Thank you, Dave, for leading us. Um, we're looking at a narcissistic, 
perhaps without the diagnosis, sociopathic language within him. You know, um, just before the election, this was really interesting, I was teaching at the FBI National Academy. And most officers that are sent to the academy, almost all of them, are really some of the best and brightest our country has. I mean, these are, these are smart men and women. And because it was so close to the election, um, it was October 31st. October 30th, there was a, another announcement about the reopening of the Hillary Clinton email scandal of the unsecured database. So um, there was quite a, an electric atmosphere in the FBI Academy. It was palatable. At the end of the class on deception, one of the um, attendees said, Mr. Hyatt, what's the difference between Donald Trump's lies and Hillary Clinton's lies? <laughs> Before I could get an answer out, he said, I'll tell you what I think it is. I think that Donald Trump is a BSer and a narcissistic-like businessman who just bowls his way through to success, and his lies are usually just aggrandizing lies and the lies that any successful businessman tells, crude language, and um, bragging. And I think that Hillary Clinton's lies are a true narcissistic um, criminal element of fabricating reality. And I couldn't add to his answer. It was a great answer, so I, I just let it stand. Well, one of the traits we have of someone who's a true sociopath and, and someone with a narcissistic personality disorder is that they can often be very charming, and they tell very vicious, damning lies. Davy described a lie that he had told in high school, and you know, this is one of those fashion your seatbelts to, to embrace this one. I got in trouble in high school. Um, if you were from my generation, that's what you did. It was something we all did. Um, ran around and did silly, stupid things, and, and later on outgrew them. If you lied, it was considered a personal shame. I, I once was in a Latin class where a, an A student had um, just inadvertently looked over and copied an answer from someone and stood up in the class afterwards uh, when it was the tests were graded and brought back to us the next day or whatever, and he had a hundred, and he stood up and said, "I copied the guy next to me," and it was really bizarre because the guy next to him was no brain, and this was the brain of the class, and he was given a zero, which just really impacted his uh, overall grade average and his his perfection in scoring and whatnot, and the teacher would not allow for. Mitigating circumstances would not allow for the admission of just one. Cheating, like lying, is wrong. And he got a zero, and he did not complain. And I was just a 16-year-old kid watching this. Um, Sean Hannity from Fox News was in that class. The impact it had upon others was startling. Lying was wrong, but if you lied, either the staff the teachers were upset with you, and your buddies supported you, or the other way around. Just that's the nature of teenagers and lying. Davy told a lie in which he said he lost the respect of all the teachers, 
all the staff, whoever that is beyond the teachers, and all of his friends. I was so damaging that it, it, it brought destruction down everywhere. And, and I think eventually his father had to leave the church. He was pastoring and go to another area, another city. Um, he did something really rotten, and he, he doesn't disclose what that is. He's living a lie, um, and what I did with the analysis was I brought it to a question. Is he lying simply about his sexuality, or is he lying about some form of connection to the gang? And just to take a dozen analysts and investigators, I was the only one who wanted to stay with sexuality. They all practically laughed me off it. There's you know, no way. And what the, what the thinking is is this, is that um, low-level gang members were told where to hit, what to do, because they're not going to on a home invasion, stay around and sexually assault a pregnant woman um, if she resists the home invasion, um, she's going to be hit, but likely not much beyond that. And it appears that they had pulled down her clothing to make it look more like a sexual assault. Um, some of those details have not been released, but it doesn't have the earmarks, including the, the time, the cul-de-sac, uh, the details around it, of anything but a planned hit. And so the, the question is, well, wouldn't they give up Davy when they go to jail? And, well, the low-level gang members would not be informed of where any deal came from or any order came from. So one of the things that has to be considered is, and I think over time it will eventually come out, is did Davy Blackburn in all of his youth ministry and, and being involved in schools, and ever, which I've never wanted him near, but in schools and other things, did he come in contact with gang members? Now, um, the objection, wouldn't the gang members give up the, um, the older gang members who gave this assignment a chance? They would not survive a week in prison with that. The code of silence is very strong. Um, they, they have to survive in there as well. So the circumstances are stunning in terms of behavioral analysis. So a man wants to get rid of his wife. She is a detriment to his obsessive goal. Pregnancy made it worse. She gets pregnant again as a trigger. She's then murdered. He just conveniently sits on the, in the driveway instead of taking the phone inside for almost 40 minutes on that very day in a morning home invasion, very unusual, in a morning home invasion where not much was stolen that appears to be, you know, actually driven to go into and cause this type of death of the victim. And then afterwards, to speak, not only deceptively, but to show no personal remorse, no personal grieving. And I mean personal. This is as personal as it gets. His wife was murdered. To show his shining ambition for numbers and his business, and to show no fear for himself, child, or his neighbors while these guys were uncaught. And that's why investigators said to me, Peter, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way. In fact, I, I meet investigators from state, federal, 
um, lot of experience. There's no one who was willing to say, no, his deception is, is indicated just regarding his sexuality. They all agree with that. And he's clearly um, got some sexual issues. As a matter of fact, in the memorial service regarding Cardinal and please, I know I'm speaking kind of long here, so please feel free to interrupt me with a question. But Perry Noble was asked to speak, and he spoke in um, what is called homoerotic terminology about Davy. Now, picture it's a memorial service about Amanda. The words Christ and resurrection are missing, which is what most people expect to hear at a funeral or memorial service is the resurrection of the bodies. The, the pinpoint of Christian life and, and hope is that we have hope for after we die here. Not mentioned at all by the speakers. Perry Noble says that when he first met Davy, he called him Crazy Davy and said something is very wrong with this kid. Perry also said he knew how to fix it. He knew that to fix Davy, Davy was wrong or broken, and Davy needed fixing. And to fix him, Davy needed a woman. Then he described Davy, including uh, – I don't even want to use the description because it's, it's um, quite distasteful. But he described Davy as uh, perhaps a single man might describe a beautiful woman – to his buddies in um, romantic or sexual language. Clearly, uh, Perry Noble was saying he was sexually attracted to Davy Blackburn. This was the memorial service for Amanda. So I, no matter what the family has said publicly at the churches, they must have their doubts about this sociopathic, narcissistic, a um, very talented and intelligent young man. So if you can gather the wherewithal upon your wife's murder in your home, that's another added element within the analysis. Your home is where you sleep. In statement analysis, we always highlight if someone mentions where they sleep because when we sleep, we are most vulnerable. A home invasion is going to be a little different than an insult on the Internet. And the language is going to reflect the difference. It is the most intrusive type of, of assault. Um, a husband and wife coming together physically become one person in that sense. And, and the, the sense of it is not just uh, physically one person, but we see over time how each person has their own subjective dictionary. Husbands and wives literally share a dictionary after a number of years. So this invasion, this intrusion, this violence, we expect to hear an impact upon him personally. Not at all. Not at all. He uses, uh, and Delilah, you highlighted, distancing language, but many times more than that. Um, when he was even asked about, hey, police aren't telling you much. This was early on, and no one had been arrested at that point. Police should not be telling him much because the, you know, he's being investigated, and he's going to be able to have a um, 
a video, for instance, proof he's going to have an alibi where he was at the gym. And it's true. He was at the gym. He did not pull the trigger. He was not there in the house while she was murdered. I don't know about being on the driveway. I don't know if he waited on the driveway deliberately so they could finish or Amanda could bleed out. But when he was asked about being investigated, he answered, I, I, which is expected. We're going to hear him say something about um, himself because he himself is being asked. When it came right down to it, he said, for us, we have nothing to hide. And it doesn't take a statement analyst to know. It just takes a mother of a six-year-old. Someone needs to share guilt there. That's what a deceptive answer sounds like. So that he was deceptive, that was not debated among any of the analysts. That he was deceptive about his sexuality was also not debated among analysts. That he was deceptive about complicity or connection to this murder, I think I was his only defender. And my arguments were, were – I didn't have any. It's just um, – I, I don't even know how to explain it. Just it's a shocking crime, and it's something really difficult to to believe that that someone could be so driven. Yet, if we remove the word Jesus, whether you capitalize it or not, if we remove the setting of a church and we call it a business and we call Jesus a wigot, you would say, oh, this is a, a businessman driven for success who had his wife off. It would be really clear. And so that's where I deal with my own personal, personal contamination of analysis is that um, it's difficult to grasp how someone would do this. But all you, well, you know, to Peter, do is listen. You know, as you're describing this so-called memorial service or celebration of life or whatever it's, it's called, you know, obviously this should have been centered around Amanda and around her life and obviously was not um and I would be I, I would imagine her family was was also in attendance how does her family feel about this how do they feel about him and all that's transpired um or do we know I I don't know whether or not they've spoken publicly about this but it just seems like it's it's so disgusting it is, and I think the, the probably the best way I can answer that question is when Davy subordinated his father-in-law in front of his entire church. He humiliated him. To, to say that, and I'm not sure it, if the audience is familiar with the, some of the Christian lingo of it's kind of modern, but to say that people are spiritually dead means that they are they're disinterested. They um, they're Christian on the exterior, but interior they're basically going to church just to buy off their own conscience rather than engage um, in the work of, of Christ. By claiming them to be disinterested or, or spiritually dead, it is the result of the work of the pastor, the, the shepherd, the one who's been feeding them. He basically told them that instead of being fed week by week, you've had a false shepherd who has allowed you to fall into disinterest. He indicted him, and the man submitted. The, the man believed somehow that his own Bible is 
inefficient. It's incomplete because not only is that the, the divine revelation, but you need to hear what God now says to Davy, some crazy, narcissistic, um, sexually confused, ambitious young man. So, you know, you have the insufficiency of Scripture there. You need the revelation from Davy, who gave a great qualification. You know, if I'm not the great leader and do this great movement, I'm putting it all on you. It's your fault. So it's a pattern of, of, um, of sociopathic language that's pretty easy to follow. It's, it's not challenging. It's, it's, it's useful for teaching deception techniques. I've not met anyone in any training since this broke that said, oh, yeah, I, know that. I don't see that as being deceptive. That's how clear he is. He spoke about um, the distancing language with his son, in fact, was traumatic, was traumatic, but he spoke about um, book deals and uh, publishing techniques. The first words out of his mouth were to talk about numbers and, and how many people he's going to bring in and all what Amanda wanted. And so the objection is, hey, he's a man of faith. He knew that God would protect him, so he wasn't afraid. Well, we know from the same Bible that he's speaking of that the Bible does not negate human emotions. Christ, being the, the, the divinity, wept over what was coming to Jerusalem when, when Titus and Rome was coming in to destroy it just a generation. It doesn't negate human emotion. Another objection that I've seen was, um, and this is one that's worthy of answering, is, well, Peter, you can't go by his pronouns because he's so narcissistic that he always speaks in we, meaning him and Jesus. And that is something that needs to be um, answered, and it's a good objection. What we do is we go in to see his pattern and see if he consistently, in the whatever realm of, of theology or, or religious language he's speaking of, does he consistently use the pronoun we. And it's really easy to spot. When his followers did not bring in whatever number he declared had to be brought in. He chided them with the pronoun I, with the pronoun I, and it gets to the guilt or the areas of responsibility or marriage. He immediately rushes to we. Well, we don't know what we're feeling. We're grieving. Who's we? You and the two-year-old? He's alone. Um, he also uses the language, and this is a little bit more advanced analysis that I've not covered much, but he uses the, the, the language of divorce, and this was even pre-murder. Um, so this was not someone that – he was very unhappy in his marriage. He plainly stated he was un, unhappy in his marriage. I'll tell you what. If he was married to my daughter and she was being publicly humiliated sexually by him, A, you'd have to restrain me. B, I'd get her the hell out of there. So the, the, the family to subject themselves to this humiliation, um, I think, uh, from what I could tell, Amanda appeared to be a very lovely and godly Christian young woman. You watch the, you watch the video and you listen to her. I think the family gets a pass because they're thinking somehow they're, they're doing God's service by remaining silent or, or by acquiescing to this madman's bizarreness. I will give you a prediction. <laughs> I'm no prophet. Um, this is just based on human 
behavior and patterns that work out. Okay? We were created to communicate. If you don't communicate, you're going to lose your mind. Davey's going to spill this. The, uh, his, his mentor with all the uh, homoerotic language and the, the wheels came off him and he lost his position and he blamed it on having a few drinks. Not true. Not true. He's, he's deceptive as can be anyway. It will happen to David. It's human nature. It, it's like the telltale heart that, that um, continues to beat through the floors. It drives people out of their minds. So eventually he'll spoil. Eventually the wheels will come off um, and the truth will come out. And I think the truth is going to lead to some form of profit to a gang that goes back to Davy. Have I lost you all? No, I'm just I'm just like following <laughs> along with this, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together as well. Um, again, someone in the in the chat room asked about the 911 call and why it had never been released, and along with the fact that why was Davy never polygraphed? How to, how did he talk his way out of that one? Well, he's an excellent talker, and he presents really well. He he cleans up well. Um, it was a mistake. He should have been polygraphed immediately. But uh, you'll see, even on the, I think one of the interviews, um, that former spokesman for Bill Clinton, who does interviews now, um, and Fox News the same way, they took a subordinate role. Um, you know, as a pastor, how do you feel? And as a pastor, and so they were they were taking that position where they weren't challenging him. Um, Fox News did a little bit of raising some eyebrows, uh, and appropriately so, but mainstream media did not. Mainstream media just right into the narrative. Surprise, surprise. It's, it's just amazing how how all of this can happen and how it's all going to play out. Um, can you speak a little more to his relationship with Perry Noble? What, Where did that start and end? I know that he is still very, very close with him. Uh, bring us up to speed on that one. I don't follow it uh, strongly. I, I, you know, a couple of times people say, hey, can you look at this and look at that? Perry Noble said this, Perry Noble said that. He came under Perry Noble's spell when he was a young, younger man. And so you know that right away, that's going to be an influential thing. Davey has, uh, if anything, a lot of confidence and he also is a very intelligent young man. This is not a average or just slightly above average. This is a strong intellect. So when he came under that influence, I think that it went from being mentored to Davey quickly wanting to challenge. So he was able to get money from them to go and do this. Um, I, I, I struggle personally to call it a church. And I, I know that might be offensive to some, and I, I intend no offense. Um, it's just my reference point. But he got money to start this church from Perry Noble and had a lot of support from Perry Noble. Can you imagine, um, Delilah and Denny, going to a your daughter's funeral service and having a minister not only not mention Christ and the resurrection, the central point of our deaths, but actually talking about your son-in-law on how attractive and good-looking he is down to some pretty scrolly details. 
I would have been enraged. I would not have been able to remain or remain silent. So the, the, the linguistic signals, we all do it. We all give ourselves away. Um, some of us do it willingly and will own their own prejudices and, and difficulties and struggles, and others will hide it. Well, in this sense, um, this man of, of slightly restrained ambition, being Davy, imitating his mentor, is now unrestrained. As he's now unrestrained. And if you now look at the videos of his appearance shortly after the murder, there's a dramatic change. He is even more effeminate, more flamboyant, and he's taking the, the, the whole showmanship to a new level. I recognize that's not politically correct language because I have to choose one of you know 60 genders to designate him, but it's not true. Human nature remains human nature, no matter what our political elite tell us that we must think and believe. His appearance has become dramatically different. One of the things in crime that we do is we look at the um, pre- and post-crime appearance and behavior, and this, this young man has been unleashed. He's been set free. So he is now able to fully give himself to this um, vainglory seeking of self above all others. Watching the videos, I think, tells people a lot, and I think that's where some of the obsession comes from. It is provocative. It's really difficult to watch, especially if you have any tie to Christianity. It's even worse so. Well, what if you if you could look into your crystal ball, um, if and when this case does come to trial, if these people that are charged come to trial, I would assume he would be called as a witness. And how do you think? How do you think that's all going to play out? I think you know he's got this platform again, an audience again. Um, do you think he's going to humble himself or or do you think he will just play play to the show? No, I, I think, um, first of all, I'm not sure if it will actually make it to a trial because there, there may be plea bargains. I think he wants it to go to trial, and I think that he would use it as a platform as, as, a, as he has every other opportunity to advertise. I mean, it, it, exteriorly, on the exterior, it's called crass commercialization. Um He's an opportunist. So when he had an opportunity to speak about the murder, when he had an opportunity to ask the public for help in catching the murderers, not only did he use soft and minimizing language, he used distancing language. He did not want them caught. So I can tell you, if it goes to trial, it's probably pretty easy to predict. The young men will say nothing, that the, the actual killers will say nothing. Um, they'll say you know, mistaken identity, but there's nothing regarding any connection to the gang, because that's all they would know. And Blackburn would be incapable of restraining himself. He would somehow give out the church's website number or, or somehow using that promotion and looking to turn it into a book and movie deal. Um, that's what I'm still expecting. I, I'm not sure why this hasn't materialized yet, but I'm still expecting a, a crass made-for-TV movie. I couldn't even name the actors or actresses because I don't watch it any longer, but um, it would not be something that uh, would be 
<laughs> entertaining. No, it definitely has all. I mean, it's one of those things. Truth is is stranger than fiction. Nobody could make this stuff up in writing for a TV show or a movie. That's for sure. It's got all the ingredients. And you know, I, I'm quite certain that police suspected him and suspect him to this day. Especially have to listen to him open his mouth. But remember, their burden is quite high. They can have. I can say to them, here is linguistic proof, which I don't have, but here's linguistic proof that Davy was tied to the gang who committed this crime. It doesn't prove anything in court. One can't go to t- court and testify. Your Honor, he used the pronoun we. <laughs> it, it won't <laughs> hold up. We all use it. They need to prove that, and that's really difficult. That's why I say it probably is going to be years until we see a breaking down. Remember, the, the body's natural declination of hormones um, impacts all of us. And you see, for example, when women reach a certain age, they begin to experience more anxiety than they had when they were younger. Um, men who fall, trip, stumble, and fall and bounce up like it's nothing at 30, suddenly at 41, they're down a little bit longer. And at 51, they ask someone to help them get up. We all experience a declination of hormonal strength. We see in childhood victims of abuse, uh, in adulthood, when they get to a certain age, the language changes because they have been able to use their natural strength to outrun these things. The early childhood trauma, it catches up to them as their natural uh, physiological strength declines. Davy is no exception to that. He is no exception to that. And it will come upon him. Um, It catches up to all of us. And so when he was asked about his involvement, the police investigating his possible involvement, when he said, for us, we, right away we note in those pronouns that there is an element of needing to share because it's just him alone now. He's the only adult here. His two-year-old cannot be included because of the rest of the sentence. For us, we, repetition, have nothing to hide. No one said, what are you hiding? This is a declaration is not only am I hiding something, but I'm, I'm hiding that something, a noun, and I wish to hide it so much so that I'm going to hide behind someone else too, plural. So when someone says, I have nothing to hide, the first thing you got to do is search. He's telling you, search. It's also a way of fishing, um, wondering and, and looking to gauge the level of suspicion against him. This may be why he hasn't made the fame, hasn't cashed in on the fame, because um, I think everyone that follows his case says something is wrong here, including publishers and the, the media that would be behind, you know, the Lifetime Network or something that would be behind putting a movie together. Um, these are not stupid people. These are intelligent people. And to look at his language without training, something is amiss here. Peter, so you you think that eventually just because of uh, Davy's nature, he will talk himself into something because he can't keep his mouth shut. And if that lines up with 
some type of a benefit to the gang or a financial benefit uh, that maybe someday when that stuff uh, happens, he could end up getting involved or Davey could end up uh, being involved in the murder case as a as a uh, conspirator. Yeah, it, it's it's certainly a possibility. Um, what I was referring to more so instead of the legal sense I, was the personal sense is that it's not just his nature, but all of our nature that when we have something to hide, we spend a lot of energy and effort suppressing it. And it really ends up doing a number on our health. You hear people, um, I do an analysis for employment and I'll say, um, this person has the language of addiction. However, the language they use is so strong in terms of personal responsibility. This person probably has been clean and sober for many years because it, they, they do that. Well, in the sense, they say in the, in the world of recovery, you're only as healthy um, or you're only as unhealthy as your secrets. The things that we bear deep down within us that we do not share and do not process destroy us. I am a firm believer that this young man experienced early uh, childhood trauma of a severe nature. Um, he's that unusual. He's that damaged. And his he's using every ounce of talent and every bit of manipulation he possibly can to run from it and to be some kind of bizarre steps. And from a, uh, a faith standpoint, he's been doing a lot of damage. When someone has blind ambition and they lie, that's like a sociopathic uh, tendency, Anyone that stands in the way is going down. Do not get in their way. They will do whatever it takes to defend themselves and to realize their goal. So, I, Benny, I think that when Davy's nest is well-feathered and when he has all the trappings of success around him, like some of these, these creepy televangelists with all their, their fabulous wealth and their, their message that if we send him the money, we'll get money too, which I wish I worked, but... Um, I think that when he is at that position, um, to use an ancient phrase, in due time his foot is going to slide as he climbs higher and higher and higher. Perry Noble just stumbled. He's, he's got um, – when he lost his, his church ministry, they didn't, they didn't give him the boot because he had a few beers on a Friday night. Um, in fact, they didn't give him the boot for alcoholism. If he had become addicted to alcohol, that's not why he was given the boot. How do I know that? From his language. From his language. Um, in terms of a numerical success, if you were building a small business and 100 customers would be considered a really good success, um, having 15,000, you're a CEO. You're a successful, driven, ambitious man. They're not going to fire him over something that can just help him uh, overcome it has to be deceit and other things that say to the, the leadership, no, this guy is hiding too much. Remember, they're, if, if they're in Perry Noble's church, their reference point is probably de very different than most of ours. If they think he's bad, <laughs> and their standards are very different than ours, you can only imagine what we would think of his behavior. Mm -hmm. So I, I, don't think he'll, yeah. I don't think he'll survive it. The the question you said uh, that the reward, I believe, was only a thousand dollars at this point. 
and it was uh, being handled through the church. Some the reward money was uh, being handled by Davy and his uh, his church. I don't I don't know what the uh, rules are regarding this type of money. I mean, does the government require you to, to account for every dime you collect and what you pay out and so forth? Or I'm thinking if there's flexibility uh, or not very close scrutiny of how that money is handled, uh, there would be a one way, possibly one way for him to raise whatever he owes the gang. If, if there was a, a payoff there, um, uh, and funnel money to them without it showing that he wrote a personal check out of his uh, checking account to uh, to the gang leader. Is, is that something you think that could be done so he could... I, I'm assuming the gang is going to want their money uh, and not wait for a movie deal or something to get it. He's going to have to pay them. Well, it's certainly possible, but I don't think that's how it came up to be. Um, first of all, in Davy's language, we don't we do not see his money as the um, the top priority. It's certainly a high priority, but it's not the top priority. Um, he must be success. It's numbers. Everything is numbers to him. And um, this could have casually been. And this is how a, um, an investigator who works with gangs related to me. It could have been something as an as a bleepity bleep, you know what? Woman home at such and such an address early on Tuesday morning. Um, but when in there, particularly whatever they wanted, that sort of thing. Maybe not so much a, a, a direct payoff, but uh, an information for a gang who is looking. Um, they could have been given false information that there was a major stash of drugs there, and Gwen didn't find it, and that led to rage. Um, Denny, the, the, what's hard to get past is this, is Amanda was a victim of a sexual homicide. Even if the sexual activity was um, pulling down her, her clothes, pulling her clothing off of her in the homicide, it's all but impossible to get past a sexual homicide and someone invoking divinity naked in the shower underwater. Like the it's almost like criminal psychology 101. It's that plain. So in terms of the connection to the gang, I, I don't know the mechanisms. Um, he, he's not a stupid man. He's a very intelligent man. So there would be no check paid, but um, it could have even been done through someone else. You know, uh, it could be a publicity stunt that had gone wrong. I don't think so. But these are all things that were thrown out uh, um, as people sought various ways to try to clear him from it. But how do you – if you – we haven't covered the things he said, the, the first words out of his mouth, the first announcements he made after the murder had nothing to do with the murder. It had to do with how do you get people here to attend, and um, nothing he says negates human nature. Nothing he can quote negates human nature. Um, we all know that anyone can twist anyone's words, including the words of, of ancient scripture – to try to make um, a narrative fit instead of allowing the words just to simply guide us as we do an analysis. He's a pretty clever guy. So I don't think there's going to be a deck written. However, if a movie deal does come out, 
I would not be surprised if he's located by the gang. So in that sense, you might be correct. Uh, you mentioned, too, that the people who, who would produce movies or write books, uh, write a book about this, are not stupid. And if they uh, think, like, I, I think most anybody has to think something is wrong here uh, and that all the details are not yet out, uh, I wouldn't want a movie, I wouldn't think, out there and... Uh, a short time after it is aired, have the whole thing that you portrayed in the movie come crashing down as more information uh, comes out. So I, I can uh, see that somebody writing a book or doing a movie would be very, very cautious given the circumstances uh, of, of this there's something wrong uh, uh, attitude. You know, interesting about that is that if Davy from what I know of him from his language, if Davey was told, um, here is your movie deal, and an attorney says, just so you know, um, yeah, it's going to bring a lot of publicity to whatever they call a resonant or something church, your business, but it's also going to bring suspicion. This is a blind spot. This is, this is not something that's rational as it would be for others. He will always choose to yield to that ambition, even if it means his own destruction, which I think is eventually where it will lead. When those of such ambition will lie and destroy others to get what they want, it is a blind spot. It's, it's no longer reasonable, and that's why they can be deadly, deadly. Are there a lot of people like uh, this guy out there, like Davy, or is he an exception, or are there a lot more uh, Davies? Well, we, we don't really know the, the number of sociopaths in, uh, in the population. Different studies have come up with different numbers. What I look at is sociopathic tendencies or sociopathic uh, indicators in language. And um, instead of saying someone is is, uh, narcissist personality disorder, is narcissistic traits. Now, we all have a little bit of narcissism, so it it has to be measured quite differently. You know, we all enjoy attention. We all enjoy success. Um, When I talk about moral narcissism, I talk about a political tool of deception. If you do something, if you volunteer your time to help others, you do feel good about yourself. It's natural. But a politician that will appeal to someone's moral narcissism to divide and gain votes for themselves and exploit that. Um, Davy has a type of narcissism within his language that um, shows a complete lack of self-awareness. What, when people watch the video, I don't think I've ever heard anyone tell me they didn't cringe. He doesn't cringe. He goes out and puts on even more makeup and more you know, frilly designs. And his face uh, expressions, you, you know, we, in the old school, they called it mugging for the camera. There are those who speak so naturally because they believe their message that they don't have the need to contrive their, their facial expressions. Davey mugs for the camera. He has the video going in certain angles and certain ways, and it, it's, everything is to highlight him. I mean, if, it was to, if I were to go to the realm of sarcasm, I'd say Davey is my 
Lord, my Savior, my Master, my God, my everything, because that's what he's creating. Um, all things come to an end with him. He's using, he's borrowing language, he's hijacking language from a religion, but he's doing it for a very um, single-minded point, and that is the end of all things is himself. It's quite remarkable. Yeah, our, our our chat room experts have said that they there is a movie that's been filmed. It's called Overcome about um, um, overcoming hard times. Now, how that all fits in with anything, I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> you might say I don't have the television hooked up to see it, but I would have heard it on that thing, right? <laughs> I, I don't think that there's, there's been a like a um, a movie of the magnitude where the world sees it and talks about it. So if there, there may have been a minor movie produced by a, a certain element of religious people, that sort of thing, to try to portray it, but this is not one of those mainstream media, uh, large corporate things that I know of. If I'm wrong, I'll stand corrected, but I, I, it's not something I've heard of. Delilah. Yes. As uh, as after watching that that short uh, video that uh, we saw this morning, uh, as as a woman, when when you see and hear Davy, uh, what's what's that do for you? Where 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 do you come down on that? Oh, I thought it was creepy. I thought he was creepy, and. On a lot of different levels, I think you know he was very, like like uh, Peter talked about earlier in his sermons. I think he's very condescending to women and trying to portray himself as a sexual being. It, 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 I think the whole thing was just totally inappropriate. I think he is totally inappropriate, um, you know, and how how these people and and it's not it's not just this particular instance or church or or pastor it's this is happening all over the country there's are many i call them cults whether they're cults or not i i can't really say but it it's happening everywhere and it's using you know this brainwashing technique to get people into the fold and and some of some of these are very um insular where they they isolate their people and again using brainwashing techniques and and stockholm syndrome comes to mind and he fits right into that mold where it's again about the numbers how many can you pull in um you know i don't know whether his church uh keeps their people isolated that way but but if you think about it psychologically, they are isolated. They may not be physically isolated, but they are psychologically and probably spiritually as well. But I think he's creepy. I mean, that's the only thing. It, it makes me want to go take a shower just listening to him. <laughs> and and I've, I've heard that from a number of analysts um, after a team analysis on some of his statements. Now, if you watch the videos and I'll address the cultish in a minute, but if you watch the videos where he is with his wife, Amanda, I'm not a body language expert, and I do not put um, overemphasis upon a, a success of a body language a- analyst because it's, sometimes it's a snapshot. But this is plain. 
he is not only distancing to her, but he's demeaning to her. He, he will interrupt her. He will correct her. He will berate her. Um, and then he will go on and, and while she sits there as a victim, talk about how she was inadequate sexually for him. And it's not one video. It's not a half a dozen videos. It is a, a dominant theme. In terms of, of cult status, we look at a, a cult from the position of, um, as you said, is isolation. Um, but the principal element of a, of a cult is that of control. And this is not control. This is manipulation. If a viewer saw the Netflix documentary Making a Murderer, that was an excellent example of media manipulation with um, some real severe editing of statements and the use of music to elicit emotional response. That's what Davey does. He uses the theatrics to manipulate. So people are free to come and go and free to think what they want, that sort of thing. But there is a sense of if you drift from here, your future will not be so bright. And I think that's a subtle element of control, but not the overt control that a cult will exercise. We call it cult-like in terms of the following. And so then you see the same type of, of obsessive defense of him, where someone just over and over, we saw this in the McCanns. What's your argument against the analysis? My argument is that you have hate towards Madeline McCann. So, okay, but what part of the analysis did you disagree with? Well, I think you're full of hate. I gave a, um, an instruction to Haida. I left Maine with two feet of snow and ended up in 73-degree Phoenix uh, a day later. <laughs> but I said to them, now this is going to be a scientific process, meaning that as you put the data in, the results should be the same. If there is an error, we can go back into the input data and trace the error out. That's what a scientific process does. How would you all feel if I said to you, if you disagree with me, you are mentally ill. In other words, you're suffering from irrational fear. And, by the way, your morality is so reprehensible that I will not allow you to disagree because you yourself are worthless. And so what would you think of the strength of this science? And obviously the, you know, the, the audience chuckled and, and thought that was funny, but that's the silencing of opposition in ideas. Well, there are people that are so obsessed with it that and it, it saddens me a little bit in terms of when someone tries to quote or misquote statement analysis is they want to prove one way or another and it begins to take on a life of its own where they see in language what doesn't exist. Delilah, you did not do a study. You had two minutes to watch a, a video and you pick up the distancing language. That is nothing compared to what you'll see if you watch the interview with Good Morning America, for example. And you'll be amazed how quickly he distanced himself from Amanda, the, the dead child, the preborn child is an afterthought, if a thought at all, and right to his advertisement, right to his lingo, right to the campaigning, right to the sloganism. And this is, this is while the, um, the murder had just ha taken place and no one's been caught yet. So it becomes extreme, and I encourage you, if you have the stomach, to watch a video post-murder, just one or two minutes post-murder, 
to see the dramatic change. Look at him before the, you know, maybe a month before the murder and a month after. And there is this dramatic change of setting free of this guy who is putting on a show, who is using media, multimedia, to manipulate, to persuade. If he was selling Mercedes or Lexus, he'd be a multimillionaire by now. This is a talented guy. This is what people do that are, are not everyone, of course, but many successful people have these traits in business. His business happens to be religion with a, with a lowercase r, uh, Jesus with a lowercase j, but it could be any type of widget that he's selling. He's really good at what he does. He's a very talented young man. He's someone that's had to survive on his talents, and he's, he's literally thriving in terms of the, the outward success because of it. So I think keeping an eye on him is, is going to be interesting, and I think it will probably be a long time before um, the walls of justice begin to stand a little firmer and allow us to see in. Uh, as I was watching uh, that uh, video this morning, certainly I was shocked, I guess is a good word, uh, at at Davy and and what he was doing and saying, um, but I also thought, you know, with political correctness, what it is today and so forth, how could he be making some of those statements? Uh, and he was addressing, in, in some cases, the women in the room. Uh, who who is there? Who is the audience? What 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 people? would listen to that and not want to, uh, you know, throw up or run out of the building. So what what kind of audience does he draw? What kind of people are they? That's a great question. The people are generally young, at least, at least from the video, and they very likely may be many people that are well-intentioned, people who have come to see our society as, as decadent and um, marriage has become under attack and um, – devalued, and they are probably many of them very genuinely seeking a better life in uh, secular terms. And I think he appeals to that. But this is also a generation that has grown up on television and the Internet combined. Um, the early baby boomers spent a lot of time in front of the television. They saw the Brady Bunch. <laughs> That's And then they went out and played. <laughs> in today's generation, it's um, the electronic um, influence is from the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep. It never ends. So they're, they're so accustomed to this. And Davey is right there with them. He has private chats with them via YouTube. And none of the means, I think, there's nothing wrong with using the means. It's just that to answer that question, to understand what these people are like, um, they may be of young married couples who want to stay together, who want to believe in the sanctity of marriage, who want to raise a, a good orderly family. And they've seen the results. They've seen how we've filled our prisons and we've destroyed our education. We've done so much. So these people may be very genuinely seeking, uh, young people seeking an alternative to some of the nonsense they've been fed. They um, are being taken advantage of through the very means that they've always been influenced by. So many people came off with the um, Making a Murderer documentary going, man, I, I, maybe he didn't do it. 
And I asked them to go back and listen to the quotes and try to turn off the music in their heads and then go back and listen to it again. And this time, write down what emotion did you feel over the music? And it becomes evident that the documentary people were deliberately deceptive. They knew what they were doing. Um, I was reading recently that um, mainstream media reported that one speaker who was talking about the dangers of Islamic terrorism had played a video of the two planes crashing into the World Trade Center on 9-11 before he spoke. And the speaker said, no, I didn't. I don't even have the video, and I don't use PowerPoint. I just get up and speak. And so he called the host of the uh, seminar and said, hey, before I spoke, did you show a video of 9-11? And he said, no. So they contacted the journalist who wouldn't give a response, and he wouldn't give a retraction. The journalist wanted to portray the speaker as a manipulator, a manipulator being manipulative with a message. And he knew what to go to. He knew to go to media like that. And so we have this incredible need today for truth. And I think that we have a new generation of young people. You know, Yes, we have the delicate snowflakes, and every time their feelings are hurt, they want to file a lawsuit against someone. But we also have the backlash, the pendulum of extremism, where there are others who are now saying, I don't want part of this. So, Denny, I, I kind of wonder if there's some, some good, fine people that are looking for answers in the wrong places, but looking for answers to some of life's riddles today, cashing in on it really well. Yeah, as you say, he's an expert at what he If I was going to sell okay. something for a company, I'd hire him. He would be awesome. If I had no <laughs> scruples about – yeah, if, if I didn't care about deception, if I didn't care about truth or honesty, if I just wanted a product sold, get him out there. He'll do it. He'll get it done. Don't ask how he did it because it would be pretty <laughs> ugly. Eventually, people like that end up in prison too You know, because when, when you refuse yeah. to refuse to yield yourself and submit yourself to authority – you sometimes end up in a cage and bars so society can be protected against you. Much better to follow laws and rules early on in life, but success breeds its own confidence, and confidence can go to overconfidence, ego, and pride. In time, Amanda, my belief, Amanda got in the way of this blind, driven, naked ambition, and she needs to be removed. That's why you'll see, even in the statements and in the videos afterwards, he can. It looks like someone's trying to contain joy over being set free. And then go ahead and look at the video yeah. and see what his appearance looked like after a man has gone. So one thing I do believe that Perry Noble said correct. I think that Amanda probably was a restraining influence upon this very troubled young man, this broken young man. And that restraining influence is removed. Well, and I think as and you know, we're, we're winding down to to the last minute of the show. Um, we have to remember the victim in all of this. Amanda Blackburn was a, a, a very beautiful, vibrant mother woman, and uh, you know, hopefully, she doesn't become forgotten in all of his theatrics and and the show that he's putting on for everyone out there. Um, so, you know, 
like to honor and respect her and her life and what she gave to this world. And, you know, hopefully her side of the story will come out someday. Yes, it's a great point. It certainly is, and probably a good uh, place to wrap up here because we are out of time. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for being here and sharing your insight and what is uh, certainly an interesting and in some weird case. And thanks also to our listeners. And until next time, stay safe.